1: It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Wiener, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: Good afternoon, I'm Anthony Weiner, and thank you for meeting me in the middle sometime every Saturday at 2 o'clock when we take some steps away from the hot takes of the far left and the far right. We try to bring some context to the news of the week or maybe a subject that doesn't find its way into the middle of the conversation enough. Our streak is broken. We had seven straight rainy Saturdays. It's beautiful outside. I was out of town for a few weeks, and for a few days rather, and I turned my phone off. I wanted no notifications. I'm literally having trouble... Sleeping with what's going on in the world in the Middle East. And uh, so turned my phone back on and, boy, there was a lot of news this week. Three weeks ago to the day was the terrorist attack by Hamas on the citizens of Israel. And just moments ago, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu gave a speech basically saying we're going, that they're going into the next phase of doing kind of, it looks like kind of a limited ground incursion I think I mentioned when this first happened, you know, BB, despite his reputation as being a hardline right guy, he's been pretty cautious about his use of force. We're going to talk a little bit about that. There's been a lot of news, a lot of news domestically also. Another AR-15 in the hands of a person who wanted to do as much harm as possible. Another speaker finally plucked from obscurity. Another Democratic candidate for president, a guy named called Dean Phillips, who plucked himself from obscurity to run for president. Never heard of the guy until now. Another sign of an improving economy, 4.9% growth in the third quarter. That's good. And another bad week for Donald Trump in the courts. Maybe his worst yet, as his former chief of staff turns state's evidence to Proud to testify against him. We'll hold on to some of that domestic news for the second hour. But in a sign that the universe is collapsing upon itself, in 2001, then-President George W. Bush threw out the first pitch in a World Series involving the Arizona Diamondbacks while bombs were falling. In a response to terrorism, bombs falling in Asia. Yesterday, 2023, President George Walker Bush... Throughout out the first pitch in a World Series where the Arizona Diamondbacks also are playing. I don't know how, but... And also bombs were falling in Asia. So it seems like we are back there again. And I mention that because there's been a lot of conversation about lessons learned from September 11th and responses to terrorism, what worked and what didn't. And what we know is that Based on what Bibi Netanyahu said today in the news reports, the only sure way for Israel to remove Hamas from Gaza and to liberate the Palestinian people who live there is, and to protect its own people is to launch a ground invasion. It looks like that is underway. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. I'll be taking you until 4 o'clock. Curtis when and I are going to be on for left versus right from 4 to 5. And we're going to be focusing a lot of our discussion about how New Yorkers are responding to what's going on overseas. And I think he and I are equally mystified by this trend of supporters of Hamas or people who say they support the Palestinians going around town, tearing down pictures of hostages that have been taken and have been held by Hamas. I don't understand. I don't understand the thinking. We're going to talk about that a little bit and also some of the other reactions we've had here in liberal New York to a terrorist attack, not dissimilar to the one that we experienced on September 11th. You can catch us here, or if you are out and about and want to try to get us some other way, WBCradio.com. You can reach us by phone 800 848 WABC 800 We have Ava on the board. Christian's taking calls. Matt is supervising. You know, and as some people have been saying all week, you know, well, here it is three weeks later. It took Israel long enough. Like, what were they waiting for? It's three weeks later. How come they hadn't gone into Gaza? I mean, the first and most obvious reason is that there are 229 hostages unaccounted for. And many of them are being kept in more than 300 miles of subterranean tunnels beneath one of the most densely populated urban centers on Earth. So it's a very precarious war environment. And it seems like up to now the Israeli military has been kind of softening up the opposition first to make it as easy as possible for its ground forces to go in after. Lots of UAVs, lots of air attacks. They probably are... Doing everything they can to take out any anti-tank capability that Hamas has as they roll in, as the Israelis roll in with their tanks, they're probably dropping some bunker-busting bombs. Which are, you know, people talk about the idea of of a ceasefire. Well, unless you figure out a way to get Hamas out of those tunnels, um, they're going to keep. They're going to stay there. And and so it might be that Israel's literally trying to smoke out some of these Hamas fighters. I mean being a hundred some odd feet underground for three weeks is not an easy experience, and there are about twenty to twenty five thousand Hamas fighters who are in those tunnels. And if indeed Hamas is running low on fuel, there's been different reports. Some say they've stockpiled a great deal of it under there. They need a lot of it because they need generators to c- provide oxygen in those tunnels. And so if you're wondering, well, why won't Israel let fuel supplies come into Gaza? It's because the fuel is probably the thing that the terrorists need the most, and they're going to intercept. Or it could could just be that they've been waiting this long, because this is how long it took Israel to be prepared in a military sense. Look, they have to muster on the north out of concerns that Hezbollah gets involved. They even have to be concerned on its eastern front, that the where the West Bank is, that There's been a lot of insurgency activity in the West Bank. They've got to be concerned about that. Or it could be that they've been holding on this long because there's some sort of diplomatic discussion going on with Qatar. And recently, last week, I did a podcast, The Middle Unplugged, episode 52. I think it was where we did the different countries in the region. I actually left out Qatar. Qatar, they're a major funder of Hamas. They're the home of Al Jazeera, which spreads some of the worst anti-Israel and anti-United States stuff around the world. And they're the home to the top leaders of Hamas. They actually live there. They not only support Hamas monetarily, but they give them safe harbor, kind of the way the Turks do. But another thing about Qatar is, as you probably know, is that's the home to the largest U.S. military base in the Middle East. They're allies of ours, theoretically. They are the so-called face of the moderate Sunni world. And I, as I've said on past episodes, you know, this search for the moderate Sunni state is like a child who searches for the unicorn. But the real reason that Israel might have been holding out and delaying as long as they could is that Israel's a democracy – And a plurality of Israelis want their government, want, at least, you know, want their government to wait. Uh, A poll came out yesterday in Mariv, which is a big newspaper in in Israel. And they asked the question, should the military begin a large-scale ground invasion? 29% said yes. 49% said it's better to wait. 22% was undecided. Because remember, there's 20 children and babies held hostages. The campaign has been waged by the families of the hostages to try to get them out by any way, you know, possible. I mean, when you're a, a dictatorship, you don't care what the public thinks. But if you're Bibi Netanyahu, particularly very, a uh, very unpopular prime minister, I mean, the countries rallied together. But as you've heard me say on these airwaves, I predict by this time next year, he is a former prime minister of Israel. And so, getting back to the to the President Bush example or the analogy or parallel. With 9-11, even the good war, remember Iraq was a debacle, but even the one that people like Barack Obama and others said, the good war is Afghanistan. And we learned that, you know, you break it, you bought it. So what comes after the invasion for Israel is the tough part. 800-848-WABC is our phone number, 800-848-9222. You can also reach me on Twitter, exit, at Rep Threads is Anthony D. Wiener. I think Facebook is Anthony D. Wiener. And Wiener, WABC at gmail.com. So what comes after, after the invasion for the Israelis? So for the world, remember, to the extent that there is any government in Gaza, it's Hamas, chosen by the people of Gaza 17 years ago. Probably today they're not very popular, but it doesn't matter. That's all there is for infrastructure. Fatah, the Palestinian Authority, which runs the West Bank, They have no power, no authority there in Gaza. So what happens? Let's take the best possible scenario. The best possible scenario is Israel goes in, in a matter of time, cleans, flushes out those tunnels, frees the hostages, and then you have 2 million people living in Gaza without any real government, and I guess Israel has to reoccupy it, which they don't, despite all the mythology you read out there, Israel does not want any part of Gaza or the way. They don't want to be the quote-unquote occupier here. They've been trying for for 75 years to not be in that position because it's nothing but headaches, and the same reason no no Arab state has stood up and said, we'll, we'll take control, whether it be Jordan in the West Bank, EG, Egypt in Gaza. No one has stood up to do that, so it's it's stuck to So you go and you do the invasion – you free the hostages. You kill every last Hamas fighter. You you pull out Hamas. By the way, it's best case scenario. We know it's not going to be that easy. But then what? And that's why so many friends of Israel, including the United States, have said, "Hey, listen, think this through." So it could be that the delay has been just a function of a democracy trying to think about how they how they want to how they want to proceed, and also. I mean, Israel has a lot of bad, bad options. I think the U.S. posture has been just right. The United Nations, I think Curtis and I are going to talk about this as well. The United Nations, the UN calls for a ceasefire and the United, and the United States and I think 19 other states voted no. Well, one of the reasons that that happened, there's no mention of Hamas in the whole resolution. There's <laughs> no, like, it's there. They're the worst. Just the worst. And it's not just there that, you know, the world has been, I mean, the, you, you get to see the true stripes of the world in moments like this. For example, in the last week, delegations of senior Hamas leaders have gone to visit Russia. Because of course the Russians like this. And then a delegation from Iran also arrived in Moscow. So all of you people who are saying, Ah, Putin's not so bad. Remember this. Remember this moment. And slowly, or not so slowly, social media, some parts of the mainstream media, the New York Times had to do a whole mea culpa this week. Oh, we got it wrong about that armament that fell in the parking lot of a hospital in Gaza. Oh, it wasn't. Maybe we shouldn't have taken the word for it when Hamas said it was Israel. Oops. Oops. If you go to Arabic Wikipedia, in case you don't have a hobby already, if you don't have, if you haven't looked at Arabic Wikipedia, go look at the entry for the war that's going on right now and go to Google Translate, cut and paste, put it into Google Translate. You will see no mention of those murdered or taken by Hamas, none at all. You just have what is the Israel's response now. And maybe that's what, Maybe that's what people who are tearing down posters around New York, maybe that's what they think they're doing. They're erasing the history, but they're not going to. And as I said, the good news is, as soon as the new speaker took over, this guy Johnson took over, resolution overwhelmingly passes the House supporting Israel. Overwhelmingly. The people that matter, the President of the United States, the State Department, most of our allies, the people that matter, are standing with Israel. I mean, I don't want to minimize it. We've got a problem. I've talked about it for weeks now with the left, particularly young people, completely misunderstanding the history of that region. We have a problem with the right, particularly on places like Twitter, virulent anti-Semitism just at every turn. But overwhelmingly, America is getting this right. And we're pulling together, which is a good thing. That's kind of the way we function around here on the Middle. But this is going to be very difficult. It's not. I mean, it's not easy, and civilians are going to die. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't. That's that's terrible that it's the the case. Israelis, perhaps you know, I think that maybe Netanyahu said this during his remarks just now. The most the most ethical fighting force in the world, considering things that no other fighting force would consider. Sending warning tweets and dropping flyers where they're about to attack. And the Hamas, Hamas has literal stations and, and, and missiles being sent from the tops of apartment buildings, tunnels that go beneath their hospitals. And, but some people there are going to be, um, there are going to be unfortunately in a, in a packed urban setting like that, there are going to be some civilians that die, and that's tragic. And to my and to my colleagues and to my friends who support Israel as strongly as I do, who say there's no such thing as an innocent Palestinian because they chose Hamas and whatever. Yeah, if you're a kid, you're innocent. Kids haven't done anything wrong. Except, I have to say, those kids are being taught that Israel doesn't have a right to exist and the Jews are the problem in the world. They're being taught those lessons. So those, you know. And if there are, and if and if you are really concerned about the Palestinians, if that is your animating thing, if that is your issue, no one no one's victimizing the Palestinian people more than Hamas. Because if they've run out of food, which we don't know if they have, if they've run out of medicine, we don't know if they have. The one thing they haven't run out of is rockets. That's how Hamas has been spending the money. And if they're down in those tunnels, that means they have thousands, if not tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. So if they if you want, if the world wants fuel and food and everything else for that part of the world, go get it from Hamas. They've got it. And when we come back, we're going to take some calls. And then at the top of the hour for the hour number two, we we're going to do more of the domestic stuff. This has been, as I said, a tough week for Donald Trump in the courts. He took the stand. He was fined for violating a gag order. Jenna Ellis flipped on him. Mark Meadows flipped on him. His daughter, Ivanka, is going to have to testify against him. It's, it's, it's tough being Donald Trump right now. And we have a new speaker. I don't know if I can remember his name. Johnson? Wiener? I don't know. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Wiener. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful day. We'll see you on the other side.
1: I remember Christmas in the Baby stood the singing, I was holding your arm, you were holding my trust like a child. Found a lot of trouble out on Avenue B, but I tried to keep it over. Hello, farewell to the city and the love of my life. These we left before we had to go. Love on the cliff.
2: Bruno. He's your numero uno.
1: Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC. The worldwide web was a whole different game being played back when I was a kid. Wanna get down in a cool way. Picture yourself on a beautiful day. Big bell bottoms and moving long hair. Just a walking in style with a portable CD player. No, so you would listen to the music on the AM radio.
2: Welcome back to the middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll be with you here until four o'clock. Curtis Lee will coming in for Left Versus Right Then. We're talking about the challenges that Israel faces a democracy. Trying to live up to the standards that it has for how it prosecutes war in an impossible situation. They have, they have, you know, they have Hezbollah in the north, saber rattling. They've got troubles in the West Bank, which is not under control of Hamas, but there's a lot of sympathy for Hamas there. They've obviously got the challenges that they face internationally. Turkey, basically, an you know theoretically an ally, a member of NATO, who supports Hamas and has said publicly that they didn't that they blame israel for all of this i think i saw that israel had called back its representative there its ambassador there to as a protest you know you've got the the saudis who are exporting to a two-faced you've got iran who's troublemaking all around the world this is it is not easy to be israel on a good day but certainly not today and you know and some of the problem is again they're a democracy is they have a fairly fragile government you know, there's a lot of unity there now. I think that Bibi was right when he said that in his speech. But there's a lot of people asking questions about how they got into this place. A lot of people who believe, you know, from my Israeli friends who believe that the government took its eye off the ball with all the focus on on judicial reform, if they want to call it that. There's a lot of people who think that Bibi, you know, was fine with kind of the status quo. Didn't see any imperative to you know, kind of, you know, it's a, it's a harsh way to put it, but he said a kind of a contained cold war with Hamas rather than some kind of negotiated peace with the Palestinian Authority. So there's a lot of disagreement there. And just like there was unity after September eleventh, and by the time George W. Bush left after the debacle of Iraq, he was not very popular. So, you know, it's tough being a democracy being at war. And we're going to take some calls about that now. First, let's start us off with Rick in New Jersey. Hey, Rick, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, Anthony, thanks for taking the call. Uh, when are you guys going to stop funding Iran with the climate policies, turn everything around, stop funding Russia, stop funding Iran and the Saudis? I
2: I, I, I took a bike to work today. I didn't put any gas in my tank at all today.
3: We're allowed to use gas, but we got to use American gas.
2: It's such a thing as American gas. Gas is fungible. It, it is... You know this this mythology, Rick, and you're not the only one who brings this up. This mythology that oh, you know, gas pumped in Texas, you know, gets used in America. No, it is it's a commodity. If the price is higher, then then more then then more might not necessarily be pumped because the oil companies do it. This whole we. I heard Steve Moore talk about this in the last hour. We should be doing more energy production. It's private companies that do energy production, and they like high prices
3: the leasing. Sorry about that. We control all of this. And you're limiting in America and you're letting Russia and Iran pump and pump and pump more oil.
2: No, we're, we're, as a matter of fact, the, Europe has now said we're not going to buy any Russian oil. Look, there's no doubt about it. Oil creates a I and mean, I thank you, Rick. There's no doubt about it that the demand for oil drives a lot of our policy and drives a lot of the challenges that we have. You know, we don't want, we didn't want Venezuelan well oil because we thought they were bad socialist guys down there. So we put sanctions against Venezuela. Well. So now there's less Venezuelan well oil in the market and prices go up. And their economy gets collapsed and all those people come to our border. All that oil. We try to do sanctions against Iran. So they have no money. Where does Iran get its, get, gets its money to export terrorism? From oil. If we use less of it, buy less of it, they have less money. Environmental policies are about, are about national security. And to say, let's keep doing the same exact thing, we kind of know what that looks like right now. Let's go to Eddie in Florida. Hey, Eddie, join, thank you for joining us.
3: Yeah, Anthony, I uh, wanted to get your opinion. China sending some warships over there to the Mideast. Is that to prevent uh, Israel from doing a strike on Iran? What do you think about that?
2: Well, the problem with a striking, right? You know, everyone wants to make this, if I appreciate the question, everyone wants to make this about state actors because it's very easy for us to understand. We have this, this country is in this place and it's doing this thing. That's how we think about wars. That's how we've been growing up to think about wars. What's going on now around the world is a lot of proxy action. You know, we're helping Iraq, uh, we're helping Ukraine because it's a proxy against our enemy Russia. Russia is helping Hamas. Russia is helping Hezbollah. Russia is helping Iran. I don't, you know, the problem with there's no such thing as, as, you know, as hitting Iran in a real way. I mean, if you can say you want to declare war, once you start attacking countries, then wars break out. Um, I think that the way you get change in, in Iran is to, to some degree strangle its ability to export Terrorism, And one thing you've got to absolutely do is not let it get a nuclear weapon because that doesn't matter how much oil they have. They have a nuclear weapon. They hold all the cards. That's what the nuclear, the Iran nuclear deal was about, was to try to prevent them from getting a nuclear weapon. But I don't necessarily think that, you know, Israel, I don't think Israel wants, put it this way, in answer to your question, Eddie, I don't think that Israel wants to broaden the scope of this conflict any more than it is. I think they want to keep it as limited as they can Go into Gaza, squash Hamas, try to get their hostages out, and try to get back to surviving in that part of the world. I don't think they want to have. And by the way, Iran probably, if they were going, this is my theory again, just my theory, that if they wanted to be involved, they 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 are probably being told through whatever back channels keep Hezbollah at bay, because Hamas is kind of more of its of its own of its own free agent than Hezbollah is a direct agent. Of Iran. So it's a little more complicated in that regard. Next, let's go to Robert in Riverhead. Hey, Robert, thank you for calling. Hi,
4: Anthony. Uh, actions like this ha- and conflicts have been done before. But what about using the UN peacekeeping force along with the IDF and take control over the ground? The terrorists will have to come out of the uh, tunnels sometime. They can't last there forever. And they
3: could then be arrested and go to the Hague if they surrender peacefully. Well, uh, meantime, you could have all this humanitarian aid and help while the Gaza Strip is
2: administered as a U.N. protectorate. That's the, that's I hate hey, the 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 United Nations, first of all, is not going to go into a war zone Exactly. Look, they, 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 we have you, they have the UN blue helmet guys up in the north in the, in the, in the Golan who do just that. They kind of, they kind of make sure that Syria and Israel kind of stay on their side. I, I think that that's a possible use for them, but they're not a, they're not someone who's going to come in and wipe out a terrorist organization or start arresting them. Hamas isn't going to go without being, without being blown out of those tunnels. That's ever, every indication. I don't think this is a problem. And as far as the, As far as Gaza or the West Bank being a U.N. protectorate, hey, that's, I guess that's fine, but those people want to govern themselves. And then there are other people who want to use those places to launch terrorism against Israel. We have a certain amount, look, we have a certain amount of experience with this. In 1947-48, the United Nations said, let's come up with a plan to let both these peoples live side by side, a partition plan. Israel accepted it. And the, the, the Arab states did not. We know that when left without Israel's occupation in Gaza in 2005, that it became a launching place for terrorism. So to some degree, we already know what happens in that scenario. And we know that when Israel, as part of a peace process, for example, like they had with Egypt, Agrees to certain rules, and you have a strong central government in two places that can do it. Then the United, then Israel, can live side by side with Egypt without any problem. But there isn't a civil government in the Palestinian territories that's worth a damn. And when Israel tries to do it, they're they're called occupiers and colonialists. The solution to this problem is the Palestinian people rejecting Hamas. Rejecting terrorism and saying we want to we want a better life for ourselves, hundreds of millions of dollars coming in, and and people like Mahmoud Abbas and Yasser Arafat absconding with with the money, and 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 corruption is everywhere. Hamas was chosen in Gaza by uh, by a, a free and fair election because the Palestinian Authority had done such a terrible job managing managing Gaza. Now, I think that probably the people of the Palestinians of Gaza would probably prefer the pallet to PA right now, but next is Josh in Connecticut. Hey, Josh, welcome back.
4: Hey, yeah. yeah. No matter how you toss it up, hamas They're, they're, they're centered for one thing. They they throw their politicians off, off buildings. It doesn't matter. There's no reasoning with these people, you know, and you talk about bunker, bu- bunker busters and those, those tunnels. <laughs> Who knows where those, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, hostages are? They could be anywhere. So it, it, it's like a lose-lose situation. You know, they, those kids—they're trained from like, like the Ku Klux Klan. You know, they're trained from babies on how to do guerrilla warfare. You think we go in there and we start guerrilla warfare and? You Not know, much more that They're they're kamikazes. The Hamas, ISIS, they're a bunch of kamikazes. They don't care. They they'd rather die than give up anything. I
2: think that's I, Josh. I think you're probably right. I think that it's pretty clear that when you're dealing with Hamas, you're dealing with an organization that doesn't follow the rules of law. They're terrorists. They take hostages. They take children hostages, and they have been trained for this for some time. And they're animated by one thing, and that is wiping out the state of Israel and the Jews that live there. And that's why sometimes I say this to my pacifist friends: sometimes the only solution to that is you have to let, you have to let, you have to let the, the military do what they need to do. But it is not easy; it's complicated. And we'll talk more about it when we're back from the middle. This is Anthony Weiner. So great to have you along.
1: It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: To the middle, that's Roland Gift and Finding Cannibals. With good thing trying to keep the music a little upbeat because the world is on fire. You see, there was a something like an eleven hour gun battle between India and Pakistan and Kashmir. Is there any part of the world that just calm down, everybody? But some serious stuff going on in Eris Israel. The ground part of the campaign. News breaking at this hour also that Mike Pence has dropped out of the presidential race. To which half the audience is probably saying, wait a minute, Mike Pence was running for president? Mike Pence, I mean, we'll talk about a little in the second hour where we're going to do some more domestic issues, but he kind of had the worst of both worlds. He could no longer, you know, he thought he was going to run as kind of the inheritor of the Trump base, but Donald Trump's getting that. And he thought he can be the honest, the guy that speaks honestly about conservative principles from back when he cut his teeth when I was in Congress with him. But that's not really where the party is anymore. The party is much more, you know, just more fealty to to owning the libs and that kind of thing. So uh, Mike Pence is out of the race. So let's go back to some calls. We're talking about the challenge that Israel faces as it confronts the next phase of the war. Let's go to George in Manhattan. Hey, George, thanks for calling.
5: Hi, thank you for taking the call. Listen. I'm going to bring up something that I wouldn't uh, dare bring it up with anybody else, practically no one else except you on this station, because you're a very rational, reasonable person, and you don't really speak uh, impartially, I mean uh, partially rather, you know, so I admire you uh, uh, with respect to that fact. Now the question is this, I'm not going to mention Israel's existence, if the United States were not assisting at all, and they were sort of isolationists, a la uh, uh, Buchanan, you know. Uh, uh, But here's my question. Why is it that no one on the ABC has mentioned what's happening in Nagorno-Karabakh where 120,000 Christians, right? They were blockaded, starved, and expelled from their uh, historical land. They were 80 percent of uh, the population uh, of Nagorno-Karabakh, you know. And then with uh, the access powers, viz. Uh, 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 Turkey, Azerbaijan, proper and also Israel's military aid, arms, right? With this combination, there was a tremendous disaster in that part of the world, and no one on the VABC has mentioned one single word about it. This This
2: is the Armenian Genocide.
5: Well, uh, uh, Armenian genocide, of course, as you know, happened in 1915, 1920. This is sort of a repeat. Oh, yes, yes. Of- yeah, I know it.
2: yeah, listen, I, I don't think that I mean, and I appreciate your calling, George. Thank you for the kind words at the top. I think that there is there's no doubt that there that there is an element of of ambiguity about some of these things. Look, Israel has been quiet about the conflict in Ukraine. I mean, I, I would have liked them to be, but they're making a, they're making a calculation that they don't want to make more trouble for themselves. And, you know, but not, look, they're a democracy. They, they've got to figure out, they've got to figure out their, their interests. But, but usually an overwhelming majority of the cases, Israel's interests and the United States interests are aligned. It's a fellow democracy in a part of the world that doesn't have them. They're a steadfast ally of ours. We provide aid to them. By the way, we provide, you know, I've heard some people talk about aid, aid to Israel, aid to Israel, and how Israel wouldn't survive without it. It's about $3 billion a year. Yeah, it's it's money. But it's given as part of an agreement at the Camp David Accords that we put on the barrelhead. We said to Egypt, if you do peace with Israel, we will make sure that you, Egypt, get funding just like we fund Israel. And so every year in Congress, I voted for aid to Egypt, of all things. Because we have to show that making peace in that part of the world is a good—it's a good business decision for these Arab states. I think that's an important thing to, to focus on. Dave and Passaic. go ahead, Dave. Oh,
6: well, hi, Anthony. Thank you for taking my call. Um, you know, the past president we had—we didn't have any wars. The only war we had with him was the Democratic Party going after him every which way possible. Now we show weakness. And this is why the, the whole world is going on fire, because our president is on the beach somewhere. He's mumbling and stumbling. We don't have leadership. The only way you could show the people of the world who are our enemies toughness. He showed toughness to Iran. They stood down. He told them, you do anything, we're going to blow up your country.
2: What about, let me ask you, but why you're listing these things, what did he do when Putin put a when it became public that Putin put a bounty on U.S. troops in Afghanistan? What did he do? Look, Trump,
6: you don't know if he did that. This is all disinformation. We did not have,
2: oh, okay. so, so, have
6: any wars. Oh, okay.
2: So we didn't so have so any you, wars. We didn't have any wars. No, but we did. He also capitulated to Putin. He bent over for Putin. That's one way not to have war. We didn't have wars? He look. He capitulated.
6: He, he, was, he was playing politics like you play politics. Who? You got.
2: The former president, Donald J. Trump. Okay. He, he released 1,500 ter- uh, Taliban terrorists in Afghanistan. I'm saying that he, he did the stuff differently. He capitulated. He capitulated to the Saudis. He capitulated to Putin. He capitulated to Kim, to, to Kim in, in North Korea. That is one way to do it. You can say that he was a good president or whatnot, but he didn't do it by being strong. He did it by capitulating left and right.
6: He's using the word negotiations. You got to play the game.
2: You can't take it all. Is the game, but hold on. But what game was he playing with Putin, in your opinion? What game was Donald Trump playing with Putin, in your opinion?
6: Wait, wait. You know, you got to play a chess game with Putin. You know, you got to give and take. This is the way negotiations. But what do we have with uh, uh, our current president? We have a war. I know, but listen, if you
2: want to blame, hold on a second. I mean, Dave, I appreciate it. You're a smart guy. But I I don't, if you, you believe that Hamas. Hamas attacking Israel is Joe Biden's fault. That's what you think.
6: Over six billion dollars that he funds it through the UN, and they're funding it with the money. And the, uh, uh, Hamas is taking that money and buying weapons. They uh, know, America is going to no, play no. the First same. First of all, South
2: Korea, South Korea, you know, a South Korean oil deal from 2017 when Donald Trump was president. By the way. I mean, I, I don't look. I mean, I appreciate Dave. Thank you for calling calls again. I, I, I respect for your view. I just think that, 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 you know, to, to say, I mean, Donald Trump, I have my problems with Donald Trump. One of them is, is when, you know, information, he, he shares information with the Russians about the Israeli military. And like almost, what was he? He in office for three months and he does that. We find out that Putin put a bounty on, on, on the, the, the head of our soldiers and he does nothing. He goes over and gives Kim Jong Un the most publicity he's ever had and got nothing for it. Kim Jong um, um, uh, uh, uh um, uh, nuclear program is con- continuing, has made progress. Now, I have some real problem with the Iran nuclear deal. I get it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, that's a tough one. But I will say this. They're now closer to having a nuclear weapon again when they had been stopped under the nuclear, under the nuclear deal. And before we get too far down this road with the Iran, I, look, I explained the Iran situation a couple of weeks ago. Iran is selling oil again, guys. They're selling it to the Chinese because the Chinese used to be part of our regime under Obama to cut off um, Iran as part of the Iran nuclear deal. You know, it was the Chinese who were part of that. The Russians were part of that with us. Can you imagine that? Under Obama, under Hillary Clinton, the secretary of state, the Chinese and the Russians joined into sanctions against Iran. Now, obviously, they're not anymore. Now, Russia and China are buying Iranian oil again. I mean, it's complicated, no doubt about it. But I mean, to to say that Donald Trump's hands are clean on this. I don't know. I didn't see him do a single thing to stop the Saudis from exporting terrorism during his administration. Funding Wahhabism around the world. Funding textbooks that, 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 declare, that declare Jews are the pigs. That part of the world has been a problem for a while. You can lay a lot of, but you want to say you've got problems with, with the, the, the Iran nuclear deal. I'm, I'm probably there for that. It's, an, it's a really tough conversation because you more or less had to make your choice. You either cut off Iran's ability to develop a nuclear weapon or you let them develop a nuclear weapon and try to cut off their oil. That's a tough call. I'm Anthony Weiner. This is The Middle. We'll see you on the other side.
1: To make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC.
2: And this is Anthony Weiner. This is the Middle Fun Loving Criminals bringing us back in with King of New York. I'm going to bring you to four o'clock today. Then Curtis Lee will comes in. We're going to talk a little bit about how New Yorkers are responding to this. And we're particularly—I mean—I don't know what I would do if I saw someone tearing down one of those flies. They're all—it's become the new thing now for people who are pro. You can't say you're pro-Palestinian and tear those down. Those are being pro-Hamas. And it's being so disrespectful. Can you imagine, well, I'll talk about it with Curtis. I, ha- I have thoughts on this. He's going to be, uh, we're going to be teeing it up on left versus right at 4 o'clock. The next hour, we're going to do some domestic stuff. Pence dropping out. The era of 15 scourge in our country. Mike Johnson a speaker. Santos. I think you might be surprised to hear my take on the Santos thing. You know, one of the first interviews he did when the scandal broke was with me and John Katsimatidis. How weird was that? Me. Anyway. Let's go to a few more calls before we get to the top of the hour. Let's go to Dom in Minnesota. Hey, Dom.
7: Yeah. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for taking my call. You know, the more I listen to you, the more I'm starting to like you because you kind of speak the truth most of the time. (laughs) Thank you. So, you know, calling about the airstrike on Syria, you know, I agree that Iran needs to be kicked down a notch to keep them from blowing up the Middle East. But my problem with our involvement in this war is that politics could be driving it instead of deterrence. So, you know, I'm I'm kind of, you know, just kind of hung up on that thing because, uh, I don't know, at least, I mean, you may not like Trump, but when he was there, he found a slightly different solution by not including the Palestinians. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. At least we did not have any of these things. So now Hamas and Hezbollah are becoming bold. So and that's my problem with this thing. I mean, we have been dealing with dictators throughout most of the presidencies. Clinton did it. You know, Bush did it. We don't have any choice because very few democracies exist. We got to work with these countries. We don't have a choice. Is, am I right in assuming that? Well,
2: look, I mean, you, you make some look, you, you can kind of you can kind of play this whole thing about like when these things happen. And, you know, Dom, you use the you use the pronoun we a lot. This is Israel has been going through this for 75 years. And thank you very much for calling. Call us again for 75 years. Hamas is not a new thing. Now, you say a lot of this might be driven by politics. Look, I believe there's a very good chance that Iran and Hamas and these and, you know, I mean, it's. Hamas's links to Iran can be overstated. I mean, to some degree, they have different missions. Iran wants to spread kind of the Shia crescent around the world. They want, they, they want, they want to be, they want to be an obstacle to Saudi Arabia is in dominance because of the, the Sunni Shia thing. So it might be that they funded, they funded a lot of this activity because they wanted to get in the way of the United States' rapprochement that they were creating between Saudi and Israel. But it doesn't make sense. One thing doesn't make sense about that. Then how come Hezbollah's not involved? But saying, oh, my God, this happened under under Biden. Thank God it did, because Biden has been one of the strongest supporters of Israel countries country's ever seen. Now, there are some good things that Donald Trump did. Donald Trump moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Thank God he did. Good for him. Amen. The Abraham Accords, they were fine. I mean, the UAE and Bahrain were never the big problems in that part of the world. But I think there was an action on Palestinian peace for one reason. The Palestinians didn't find a way to choose leadership that could negotiate for anything. Fatah was too weak. Hamas is a terrorist organization. It doesn't want to negotiate anything. And one-to-one one degree, politics might have played a role here. But Israeli politics, was Bibi Netanyahu putting together a cabinet Based on the fringes in that, in that country and not necessarily the best people to try to get good outcomes in security. Did he have the best security people involved? Was he listening? Was he paying attention? The intelligence committee, community in Israel has taken responsibility. The military has taken responsibility. You know, who hasn't taken any responsibility for, for what happened three weeks ago today. Bibi Netanyahu. Now that politics is for another time and it's not my politics because I'm an American. They're a democracy. They get to choose their leaders. And I am totally fine as an ally of theirs saying, hey, I think you might want to do this. You might want to do that. But I don't get to vote there. They're a democracy, and we should permit them to carry things out the way they think it's right, the same way we would expect it if we were in a similar position. We're going to come back on the other side. We've got lots of domestic news this week. Bad week for Donald Trump in the courts. They're trying to throw Santos out. Mike Johnson is your speaker. Who is that? Yes, I get it. And the AR-15 continues to be the weapon of choice for people who want to wipe out as many people as possible. This is The Middle. I'm Anthony Weiner. We'll see you on the other side of the break.
1: This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio, WABC. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Weiner, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner. the day Hearts torn in every way So ferry cross the Mersey Cause this land 's the place I love And here I'll stay
2: Peace Oh, they rush everywhere. And welcome back to the middle. Is, uh, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Ferry Cross the Mercy. Welcome to hour number two of the middle, 800-848-WABC, 800 848 we got Ava on the board, Christian taking your calls. Maybe Matt's taking your calls. I can do anything. So we're talking a little bit about Israel in the first hour. Look, A lot happened domestically this week. I want to talk about that a little bit. We just found out that Mike Pence dropped out of the Republican primary or suspended his campaign. Some of that might be because on Monday, one of the most influential polls in the whole country comes out, the Des Moines Register poll that comes out, one of the best of um, – and, and I say one of the best. It's most predictive. They do a very, very good job. You can argue it's a little bit early. You know, the primaries uh, – the uh, the caucuses are not until, I think, January. So it might be that Pence got early wind on what was going to go on there. A lot of campaigns are making it an all or nothing situation. Um Pence was in a difficult spot. He was, you know, some people held it against him that he that he did his constitutional duty and certified the election. He tried he thought that by being you know, then usually Republicans choose their next guy in line. You can argue that the vice president would have been the next guy in line. But he never quite caught on. Frankly, no one's caught on. Gonna, you know, Halley, Nikki Halley is surging, but, you know, surging in the realm of being 35 points back of Donald Trump. It's going to be Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Joe Biden got a, perhaps a primary this week. This guy called, host checks his notes, Dean Phillips. Is that his name? Congressman from Minnesota, three terms. I never served with him. And when you ask him why he's running, he says that, a lot of people think that Joe Biden's too old. Yeah, a lot of people think Joe Biden's too old. I'm not sure, but if you agree with him on the – here's the funny thing is Biden is polling very poorly now. And people think Biden might not win. But Biden beat Trump by a lot last time, comfortable six, seven million, whatever it was. And he can say, and a lot of his voters believe it, the one thing we know about Joe Biden is he can beat Donald Trump. So let's give him another run at it. And by the way, all the talk about him being old, it's very fair, but it is not, it, 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 people say it's a cognitive thing. I don't know. I think the problem with Joe Biden is he doesn't talk like a leader if he physically doesn't have his, his kind of like mumbles from the Dick Tracy comic book. I think it's his ability to communicate is really dropped. It's funny. When he started out as a senator, that was seen as his big gift. Also this week, we have a new speaker that most of us can't pick out of a lineup. One of these organizations, I think the Emerson Poll, one of these famous polling organizations, the ones that do serious polls, they, they polled his numbers, and then they made up a Congressman Smith or something like that, and it turns out this made-up congressman had the same approval ratings as Mike Johnson. So we'll say, look, I want the guy to succeed, but knowing his politics – You're going to have a lot of moderate Republicans who are going to spend a lot of time next November running away from Mike Johnson because he is a very conservative guy, doesn't believe in the separation of church and state, wants to criminalize people who engage in abortions, those types of things. And in the category of, well, we didn't see that coming at all, another mass shooting with an AR-15, Uvalde AR-15, Buffalo AR-15, Boulder AR-15, Orlando, Parkland, Nashville, Las Vegas, Sandy Hook, AR-15, AR-15 – there are 15. There used to be an assault weapons ban, and not that we had zero shootings, but they were a handful each year. And then because it was sunset and the Republicans stopped it from being reauthorized, we have this spike now of AR-15 related shootings. Oh, no, it's not the gun. It's the person. Yeah, all right. But the person with a less powerful weapon would be great. And a very bad week for Donald Trump. I told you I would keep you posted on the many legal cases that he has. He had his civil trial. Civil trial. He committed fraud in the valuation of his properties. That's already been ruled on. Now it's a, they're having a hearing, a trial on as uh, as to how much he has to pay back and whether he has to, he'll keep his business licenses in New York. Here's the witness lineup. November 1st, Donald Trump Jr. testifies. November 2nd, Eric Trump testifies. November 3rd, Ivanka Trump testifies. And November 6th, Donald J. Trump testifies. So that should be interesting. A couple of interesting weeks ahead. And if, you know, I've, I've described the case before, 800-848-WABC, 800 This is a case where, as part of their business, they would intentionally undervalue or overvalue their properties and that act of fraud gained them a lot of money, gained them a lot of advantages and cost other people money. So that's what the fraud is. And it the evidence that was used to say well how are these things undervalued or over, is they compared what the Trump organization Donald Trump and and his family, how they valued things based on their own information no one else's. So they went for example, they went out and paid for a valuation. The valuation comes back and they triple it or quadruple it and go to the bank and say it's worth that much more. Even his own home. He said the square footage of it was six times what it was. So that's what that case is all about. But the real bad thing that happened in the Donald Trump cases to Donald Trump this week, Jenna Ellis, another lawyer, who can testify about some of the discussions she was in the White House during some of them. But the real bad news was Mark Meadows, his chief of staff at the end, who was the keeper of the keys. He, he was in on every meeting. He knew every bit of paper that can the, – the, the chief of staff of the White House, the chief staff of the president, the most important person arguably in the entire government, maybe even including the president, because he's the gatekeeper of who gets in, what they hear, and he's the ear, the eyes and ears at all times – Of what's going on with the president. So he's agreed to testify in exchange for a grant of immunity. Here's the big thing that he could testify to. If he testifies to the president's state of mind about whether or not the president legitimately thought, despite the fact that everyone was telling him that the election wasn't stolen, he lost. And despite the fact there was testimony to January 6th committee hearings that he said he knew he lost. And despite the fact that there were issues that came up, military issues that came up at the end, that he said to his military leaders, "Let's leave that for the next guy." But if he can testify persuasively to a jury that Donald Trump knew that he had lost and was doing all of these things that were outside the law, we know they're outside the law. We know that the courts had already certified the courts in the states had already certified the election. Then it gets to his Mansrea, his state of mind which would be very persuasive. If I'm Donald Trump, which I'm not, this was a nerve-wracking scenario. So that happened this week. Um, that's this week as well. Now, you know, Donald Trump's lawyers have been submitting documents in the case in Washington, D.C., and making the filings that, that he should not be held responsible for these things. And there are some fascinating things that they are arguing and maybe you you agree with them. You know one is they make the argument in one of these filings you can't prove the election wasn't stolen. And this one kind of is this is very clever because of course you can't prove something didn't not happen. <laughs> you know this is obviously his lawyers wrote this up. You know not that they're off they say they don't have to offer any information that shows that it was stolen. The government has to show that it wasn't stolen. Um, and so there's real. you know, they, they said that we, you can't prove that his Trump's claims about a stolen action were false. Well, the courts all say they were false. The state legislatures say they were false. So that's a fascinating one. Basically saying there's no such thing as reality. The second thing that they're arguing in their papers is that Trump is the subject of a witch hunt. By Joe Biden. Now, arguing that you're being persecuted, selective prosecution. it's a phrase we all know from Perry Mason or from whatever, but actually it's very hard to prove that, but it is a real thing if you're able to prove it, but what you really have to do is you have to show that others in similar positions who could have been prosecuted were not. Well, no one's ever done what Donald Trump did, you know, trying to overturn an election. And other people that are charged with him are pleading guilty and have admitted to their crimes. And you've also got to show that the government's election of prosecution for was motivated by insidious intent. And that's a very difficult standard to, to make because if you committed the crimes, and I say this to my listeners all the time, if you th- if you did the crimes, then it's very hard to show that the government is just out to get you when you did the thing. So, that's that's one of the arguments that his lawyers make. Another crazy argument that they made this week. This one's going to make you well, maybe it'll make you laugh. He says Trump impeachment, he can't be in, uh, 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 means that it's double jeopardy now to prosecute him. <laughs> if you remember back when he was being impeached. His lawyer said in the Congress, and many senators said, "Oh no, you can't hold him responsible for this. Only prosecutors can hold him responsible for these crimes. So you can't impeach him for this." And now they're saying to the prosecutors, "Well, since he had been impeached, you can't, you know, look. The impeachment is a pro- is a political act. Prosecution's a judicial one. So I don't think that's going to stick." And the the final one that 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 they ra- that they raised this week is this the stop the steal campaign wasn't deceit in any way it wasn't trickery um this is an interesting one and it's basically that he's being charged of com- conspiracy to defraud the united states and that has language in the statute about engaging in deceit or trickery and the trump people argue their lawyers argue that he didn't have any such purpose of deceit he was he was saying what he thought was true and a lot of people thought it was true, and so it doesn't have that. But that one might stick. Who knows? But these are all efforts to throw the case out. I don't think they're going to be successful. Maybe you do. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Nick in Fairhaven. Hey, Nick, welcome back.
4: Yeah, the, uh, yeah Donald Trump, he knew the election was need to be certified. So
5: he probably thought that, yeah, but, uh. Well, I wanted to hearken back to your comment on uh, higher real costs as a sign of improving the economy. But maybe it's people are buying more to live because of shrinkflation. Are good getting smaller and less nutritious and poorer in quality? Um, I think lower GDP is a sign of a material benefit. What do
2: you think about that? A lower GDP. Is that what you said? I'm, yeah, I'm having I a mean, yeah, little trouble making you out. Your line isn't great. Thank you for calling, Nick. I'll try to pick up on what I think you were saying. I mean, look, there is, I, I talked at the top about the statistic that the, that the GDP growth has been exceptional, 4.9% year, annualized in the stat that came out for the third quarter. Very good numbers. However, there are a lot of problematic numbers. Inflation is still stubbornly high. Um, but now we no longer are in this position where everyone's guaranteeing that we have a recession um, and that GDP isn't the only number that you care about. There's no doubt about that. Um As far as the first point I think that Nick made about Donald Trump, you know, about the certification election, you got to keep keep in mind a lot of what these crimes were about were things he did after the election had been certified by the states. For example, all the stuff that he's accused of doing in Georgia, the conspiracy there, was after the legislature had already certified the election, after the Secretary of State had already said there was no fraud, after the Secretary of State had already told the president directly there was no fraud, and that the results were right, and they had done several recounts in Georgia, and they were still trying to get these false, these fake electors chosen. So, um. I think that was that was his first point, but hopefully Nick will call back on a better line. Uh, Richard in Texas. Hey, Richard, welcome back.
0: Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, anyway, I want to just uh, go back to this uh, oil thing, and if you just let me uh, say what I want, then, of course, you can say whatever you want. Uh, it's really important. When uh, Trump ended his presidency, they were producing 400,000 barrels a day. They were as poor as church mouses. They couldn't pay Hamas, and they couldn't uh, pay Hezbollah. Uh, And then what happened is when uh, the the Biden administration came in, he immediately did not enforce sanctions that were voted by Democrats and Republicans in both houses passed. And that's what Trump was using to put sanctions on. And everyone was paying attention to it because he said if China doesn't do it, if everyone doesn't do it, he would take them off the swift banking system. And knowing that, China in a million years would not – go against those sanctions biden since he's been president has not enforced those sanctions they've gone up to 1 million to 3 million barrels a day from four hundred thousand, and they are making anywhere from 60 billion to 100 billion since he's been president i've heard those two figures and that's why i'm giving both to you and everything i said you know it is absolutely true and people don't have to stop going to the pump and filling up their cars that is re- really ridiculous and absurd. Now well, I will keep quiet.
2: I appreciate it. Richard. Thank you again for calling. You always bring a lot to the table. There are statistics. There are there – are, what is the expression? There are statistics, damn statistics and damn lies. Yes, when uh, uh, Donald Trump left office, Iran was not making much oil revenue. Nobody was because it was COVID. And the oil consumption was dramatically down around the world. Arab states, troublemaking states, all of them were making less money. And but when th- with the inflection point was at a previous point in, in 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 the description that Richard gave you, is that when we dropped out of the Iran nuclear deal, one of the reasons that was argued not to do it is it kept to some degree a regime in place that Iran was in a nuclear box that was was in there because their previous supporter from China and Russia, those, had, those countries had both agreed to agree to the Iran nuclear deal. And when we left, China started buying Iranian oil. Now, they didn't buy it directly. They bought it through Malaysia and other types of places. And there is no doubt there are some winners in the Russian war against Ukraine and our ability and our desires to try to cut off Russian oil money so that they wouldn't be able to do harm to Ukraine. And that is the Arab states. The Arab states have benefited from a rise in price because of the turmoil of the war. Now, maybe Richard doesn't believe that, that, that we should be trying to, to stop Russia from exporting its oil. We also tried to do the same thing with Venezuela. But Iran has been going around the sanctions because they found willing partners. They found willing partners in China that they didn't have before. And China buys a lot of oil. And they're buying a lot of it through Malaysia. Look at how much oil. If you want to do some statistics, Richard, do a little research to how much oil Malaysia imports. It's a tiny country, and they import way more than they can ever because they repackage it and have been selling it overseas. I mean, I think that we should try to cut off the... Iranians any way that we can. And maybe Exxon and BP and these other folks can help. Maybe they can. I don't think it's in their incentive. Ins- all of these oil producers want higher prices, guys. You think, oh, well, that oil company, that oil producing state, we don't want to benefit, but the other one will. No, they, were, they all benefit. When oil prices go up, everyone who produces oil benefits, including Iran. The only sure way to choke off Iran and to choke off the Saudis is to choke off the thing that they export. And if you think you can do it by pumping more oil in Texas, you got another thing coming. It's never proven to be true. If it was true, I ask you this. All of those years that we had the sanctions in place before the Iran nuclear deal, how come it didn't stop Ahmadinejad from from exporting terrorism? And the reason it did it. The reason it didn't is because we can't do it alone. We need to be in international coalitions with the other big players. And Donald Trump was terrible at that. Plus, he was a suck-up for the Saudis, completely sold out to the Saudis. And yes, Richard is right. Oil consumption and oil prices were very low when Donald Trump left office because he ground our economy to the halt with the terrible way that he handled covid I remember that. So do the American people. That's why they threw him out of office. It's Anthony Wiener. This is The Middle. We'll see you right, right after the break.
1: People around every corner, they seem to smile and say, we don't care what your name is, boy. We'll never turn you away. So to make change reaching across the aisle to work with both sides before all this happened anthony Weiner he was fantastic that guy could have been the president this is the middle with anthony Weiner. but Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet he has gone toe to toe with many pundits before me on wabc the black then they will call you name and her will go wild then they will call your name but it doesn't sound like much and you'll never discover why it's like an old lover you can't touch him anymore it doesn't mean my anymore when you go back in
2: time and welcome back to the middle of Anthony Weiner taking you to a 4:00 curiously what comes in at 4 he's you know you're going to be talking a little bit about How New Yorkers are responding, this crazy trend of tearing down posters of people that had uh held hostage by Hamas. Also, the Republicans some Republicans in our area are finally waking up saying that they want to throw George Santos out of office. Okay, look, guys, I get your problem, being you, the Republicans, in swing states in swing districts rather in New York who we'll have to figure out any way possible to get out of the dysfunction of the Republican Congress right now. But I don't, you know, look, the guy's been charged with crimes. And I think he's going to wind up resigning as part of a of a deal. And he's going to plead guilty. But you, th- there's a certain kabuki theater going on. These Republicans who are now like the Esp- Esposito and these other guys say, oh, let's throw out George Santos. Suddenly they notice that he's, that... Whatever, he's a problem. They know their speaker is not going to do that. They know probably enough of their caucus is not going to do it. But on a much broader level, the things that he's accused of doing are now the subject of an ethics investigation in Washington and the subject of a criminal investigation in the Eastern District of of New York. Let's let that happen. Look, he was voted for by his constituents there. Now you can say, "Oh, they didn't have the information that they needed." That's on them. They can, you know, and and then the, the 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 Democrat in that area, Zimmerman, he had the information, didn't do a good enough job getting it out. Reporters should have done a better job. Who But this is not the thing about elections is you don't go back and say, "Oh, I learned something new about the guy. I'm going to change my mind and throw him out." No, you serve two years. He has a two-year term. His constituents decided that they wanted him. Maybe they changed their mind, and he did a lousy job. That's fine. But it's a political question now. It's not for other members of Congress to decide, oh, my God, we don't like having him around. I wouldn't throw him out. Now, I I was under a lot of pressure to resign. I eventually resigned. But most of the reason I resigned was that, you know, one, I had – I was going through things and I was putting my family through things. I wanted it to stop and I, I felt a a further I was dealing with. I was dealing with stuff. And that's why people resign. But – there was an ethics investigation launching. I didn't do anything in violation of any ethics rule. I, I had done dumb things. But Nancy Pelosi and the, I don't know who's the Republican leader of the Republican, about Boehner, they both said they believed I should be in the, the president of the United States said that I should resign. It was hard. But for Santos, if he wants to hang in there, he's not going to get reelected, folks. He's a one term guy. And I don't think it's the job of neighboring congressmen to decide whether he should be there or not. But that's just my idea. Let's go to Jerry and Edison. Hey, Jerry, thank you for holding on. Hi, Anthony. Let me make uh,
3: three very quick points about Trump's prosecutions, and then I'd like to hear you respond. If you give me a chance to rebut it for once, I would like that. So I look at it this way: dual purpose prosecutions. Part of Trump might have did some criminal, but also there might be something going on with election interference by the prosecutors. The law is very clear on this, Anthony. If it's a dual purpose and the primary purpose, though is election interference and not the underlying legitimate prosecution, it's a dismissal of the case. And in this case, we see a lot of evidence that shows that point two. Treat people similar that are similar. Mrs. Clinton and Biden are very similar, so equal protection to Trump. He should be treated. Uh, like how that. how are example. Clinton
2: and Biden similar? They didn't try to overturn elections. Let's talk about a document case, for example. That's how,
3: okay? But you go to Nebraska lady you keep putting up there, and other troop people who were soldiers who did things with documents. They weren't running for office for presidency, so there was no dual purpose prosecution there. So but that's, Jerry, that's Jerry, here
2: I'm, I'm. I'm going to hear you out, but let me. I just want you to to explain this to the to our listeners. By your explanation, any time you prosecute a candidate, it's a dual-purpose prosecution? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I'm saying if there's evidence that it's a dual-purpose prosecution. Are you allowed to prosecute someone who is a candidate for office?
3: Can I finish?
2: No, just answer that question so we understand your terms.
3: You can, however. Good. If there's evidence showing that there's a dual purpose, meaning there could be election interference, you have to look into that. Wait a minute, but election
2: interference, you keep going back to the election interference part, and I don't understand it. Are you saying that he should be immune from prosecution because he's a candidate? And you said no. So what's the election interference part? Okay, so if prosecutors are saying in some of these cases they outright
3: said they were going to go after Trump. Who? What? Who who did? Who Who did? Who did? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. Okay. Who's the lady from uh, New York who's in the civil them? case? She did. Yeah. She did. Huh? She did. Uh huh. She did. Okay. How about Fannie Willis? No. You'll have to look that No. Up. Look for it. You don't see it. No. Okay. All right. Now, how about equal protection? Well, hold on we a second.
2: Get- no, no. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on. A second. Here's the thing, then, Jerry. You know, you, you know, you've called about this before. The selection interference thing. Donald Trump announced very early that he was a candidate for president because he saw this coming and wanted to make this. If he did the crime, Jerry, if he did the crime, should he be prosecuted?
3: Only after he has a chance to run for election. If he loses. Wait a minute. Election,
2: why? Why? I don't have that right. Why? You don't have that right. Why should he get that right? Since when does the does the criminal justice system wait, depending on what your job is?
3: Are you saying in your case you think you were politically prosecuted for trying to run for an election or was did that happen in your case? And I would agree with you. I don't know. No,
2: no, I don't. No, know no, I, I, don't I, I had I had left office by then. i had left office. But I'm saying I'm asking you, Jerry, you've brought this up before. And I don't think you've thought it through with all due respect. Are you saying that someone who does a crime and he's a plumber but has a really important project coming up, he shouldn't be prosecuted?
3: No, I'm saying if that plumber's primary reason they're prosecuting him is because he's trying to win. We the already,
2: but we, we already, him. we already established that even if you're running for office and I, I, I appreciate your calling, Jerry, but even if he's running for office, doesn't immunize him. The primary purpose. And I asked you for what example There's yes. In the civil case. The, the attorney general in New York, and I went back, I said I would check this, this week, and I did. She did say I was gonna hold him responsible for everything that he did, just the same way that Abbott, when he was attorney general in Texas, said, my job when I'm attorney general is to get up in the morning, sue Barack Obama, and then go back to bed. So yes, that gets that kind of political stuff. Jack Smith, Fannie Willis, the documents case, he did, if he did these things, he should go to jail for them. Just because you're president, election interference—the implication, obviously, there is: if you are a candidate, you're somehow immunized from it. And then, and then Jerry goes and say, "Thank you, Jerry. You're always a great caller." And then Jerry says, "Wait, did you wait till after the election? What? I didn't have that benefit. He won't, Jerry won't have that benefit if he's before a court of law and he has some important job coming up. They're not going to say we're going to wait. We'll wait until you take some other job. That's not the way it works." I get the idea that he's that Donald Trump saying I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted. Okay, I said that was going to be one of their defenses. He's going to show selective prosecution. But the fact remains, he is getting charged with serious things and the indictments, which is all we've had to read so far. And the testimony of his co-conspirators, which is all we've really heard so far is that they said that they did it as, as part of these conspiracies. And there's going to be trials there are going to be trials, and on that point, let's go to Mario in the Bronx. Hey, Anthony. Hi,
3: Mario.
8: Listen, do me a favor. First, let me speak for about a minute or two before you cut in, because last time you did that, then, of course, you hung out up, up on me, and you didn't give me a chance to explain I
2: apologize, but, but go quickly. We're up against the break, pal.
8: Okay. First of all, when when, when do you stop, when are you going to start using the words alleged? So far, you're saying Donald Trump has done this, he's done that, he's, done, he's guilty. But you didn't hear what I said.
2: I just got done saying, if he's done the things in the indictments, he should go to jail. I say, if, as the very first word,
8: Mario. Anthony, when you make the allegation, you say, he, it's like he's guilty. He's committed crimes. If, he, if he's if he been let off, he'll just commit these crimes again. He hasn't committed any crimes, yet, Anthony? I didn't say
2: okay. you commit the crimes and again. What he's what? not... He's not going to commit the crimes again because he's never going to be president again. But Mario, I said in last week—you missed last week's episode—I did a whole riff about this and how people are forced to to, to plead guilty even when they didn't, et cetera, et cetera. These are all crimes. But I say to you, Mario, if he did the things in the indictments, should he be prosecuted and go to jail? Anthony, hold,
8: listen, you're going to go to commercial. Keep me on the keep me on the line. So it's back. a deal.
2: It's a deal. But go go ahead to t- talk for one more minute. All
8: right.
6: You, you
8: always, again, you always say he's going to commit these crimes or he has committed the crimes. When it comes to Biden, there's always there, no, there, there, okay? Another thing, you say, well, Donald Trump drove the economy into the ground at the end when he was president. Well, first of all, um, a pandemic hit the world that nobody has seen in modern history. Hi, right. right,
2: Mario, Mario, we have to go to a break. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you up on, on your offer. I'm going to ask Ava to put you back on hold. But I'm going to say this, because if you think that I have been saying anything but if, as the first word to these things, you have not been paying attention to me for the last 200 and whatever shows I've done. If he is guilty of these things, if he did the things in the indictment, if, 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 he should be prosecuted. The previous caller, Jerry, based the argument that, no, it's selective this, or it was entrapment, or he was a candidate, or election interference, or all this other kind of stuff. And what I want to say to all of you, my listeners, and Mario is going to get a chance to have the last word when we come back from the break. What I say to you, my listeners, if the guy did these crimes, should he be prosecuted? And the way we decide whether someone does the crime is, wait for it, a trial. And we're going to have trials. I'll be back on the other side.
1: It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner on WABC. I know Anthony Weiner for a long time. He was a really bad guy. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. Anthony Wiener, um, I'm not a big fan. It's The Middle with Anthony Weiner.
2: Saturday, Guadalcanal gallery bringing us back in. I'll be here until the top of the hour. Top of the hour, Curtis will comes in. Big rallies planned in Flatbush, around Eastern Parkway for the pro-Palestinian crowd. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. I want to get his take on this tearing down of posters that appeared all around the city and all around the world of people putting up. This, here's the way I look at it. Imagine if after September 11th, when there were walls filled with people missing, do you have any information about these people? I even mean, remember, that was the first few days when we didn't know if anyone was going to survive. Imagine someone coming up to one of those walls and tearing down those posters. That's the way I feel when I see these videos of people doing that. And I, you know, 800-848-WABC, 800 9222 it's the middle. So we were talking before the break. Mario called in. Excellent call about the idea that Donald Trump is accused of these things. Ninety-one crimes he's accused of, and he is guilty of none of them yet. And what I have tried to stress to the callers who have called in to try to make up reasons why he should not be prosecuted, it's too close to the election, they're out to get him, he's a Republican, they're Democrats, and what I have said repeatedly over and over again is, that you can read the indictments. Some of them are very easy. The document indictments, the document case in Florida, very simple. Very simple to read. It's kind of brief. It's it's written written like a story. And what I have tried to stress to people is that, okay, you think that it's all politics or whatever it is. But if you read the indictments and he did the things that he's accused of the same way that if you're a shoplifter and you're accused of shoplifting – you're presumed innocent. But if you did the things that you're accused of, should you be prosecuted? And no one wants to answer that question, and neither does Mario. Come on back on, Mario. Mario, I said I'd let you have the last word. Go ahead.
8: Anthony, I never said that. And if you commit a crime, you should be prosecuted no matter who you are. Don't put words in my mouth. And I never said that you didn't say he should go to trial or prosecuted. What I keep saying is anytime you talk about any of his crimes. Or alleged crimes or indictments, you do never, you never say alleged. You never say he's been charged. You always say he's done them. Okay. You always say Donald Trump did this. Donald Trump did that. Never once he's been accused of. And just because you've been indicted for something, Andy, that doesn't mean those indictments are. All right. Well, Mario,
2: now, now. Mario, you're breaking up. Mario, you're breaking up. I know it seems like it's a conspiracy, but it's not. Mario tries. I get the idea of what Mario saying, and maybe that's fair, and I appreciate him hanging around. But I have to tell you, if you're a, if you're a listener to my show, and many of you are, and I really want to thank you. The ratings have been amazing, and I'm very grateful for that, and I'm glad they added the second hour so we can do more Trump talk each week. You heard me just last week in response to a caller. Who made a similar point to Mario that he's, he's been found guilty? That I say again and again that prosecutors have all the cards that they can get you to plead to things. I know I was a victim of something called the trial penalty, where they dangle in front of you if you want to plead guilty. I, I was, you know, they said for me it was 21 months or a potential five to ten year mandatory minimum sentence. And so, you know, look, I take responsibility for what I did, but what I I do want to make sure. And, and that, So Marriott wants me to use the word alleged rather than if, fine. I'll try to use that, but it's a clumsy word. I like to say if he did these things, should he be held accountable. And I want people to get their mind around that concept. Donald Trump and his defenders hardly ever say he didn't do it. All they do is all these reasons why he shouldn't be held responsible. What kind of country do we live in? This is a, a fascist state. Joe Biden did this. Joe Biden did that. His own, Donald Trump's own attorney general, Barr, said that these cases are very strong, but he's gonna have the best lawyers around. He's gonna be able to do things I can never afford to do about bringing in evidence and, and forensic experts and this and that. The, 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 the um, judge in the Florida case is very sympathetic to him. She ruled this week in a piece of good news for him that two of his co-conspirators can continue to have their legal bills paid by Donald Trump? The prosecution thought that that was a conflict of interest? And all I've said is, very simply, putting aside all of that stuff, all of that stuff of why they're prosecuting me, oh, they don't like me, I can't get a fair this, a fair that, we have only one way to know, in our system of government, in the United States of America, in our justice system, we have one way to sort this out. You know what it is? A trial by a jury of your peers. And Donald Trump's going to get that. But anyone who says, oh, don't try, don't prosecute him, he's a candidate. Well, come on. Let's go to Paul in Edison, New Jersey. Hey, Paul.
9: How you doing? Um. I'll leave that whole subject for because I want to talk about uh, the president that we have currently and the weakness he portrays to the world, which is why the world is where it is today. And it starts in Afghanistan, where I have the video of him actually saying when he was running in 2008 that if you pull out of Afghanistan, it's going to take well over a year. Because if you don't, you're going to be leaving billions of dollars of machinery, and that stuff is going to come back to haunt you.
3: Paul,
2: Paul, Paul, before I'll, I'll let you get your second point, Paul, who set the date for when we would leave Afghanistan and negotiated that exit?
9: Those dates could have been changed. They did not have to be done to leave the weapons there. Well,
2: we left billions
9: me, of dollars of machinery on in Afghanistan. We had 13 people killed going out the door. We never even had accountability. Everybody. even Why? Got back.
2: Why did why did Donald Trump set that date?
9: I don't know why he was set the peculiar date. Why, he, he
2: why did he – hold on. Why did he, as part of setting that date, release 1,500 Taliban fighters?
9: He could have worked to get the materials out of the country. Let me ask you
2: something. Hold on a second. You can't remove the armaments before the troops are out because the troops need the armaments. But let's stick to my point. Why did Donald Trump negotiate that date, and why did he release 1,500 Taliban fighters and not get a single thing in return?
9: I don't know the answer. The reason to
2: that. is that Donald Trump was obsessed with the idea of being the guy that got out of Afghanistan that even when his own military officers said this is we we cannot get it done by that time he made that deal and 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 was so eager to get it done that he he negotiated with the Taliban, elevated the Taliban, excluded the Afghan government from those talks. So there was no Afghan government set up rather than doing it the other way around. First, stand up the Afghan government so they can defend themselves and not have this brutal violence. And Joe Biden made the decision to go ahead with the commitment that his predecessor made rather than risk another flare up of violence. Because Donald Trump had already brought down our manpower in Afghanistan by two thirds. It was irresponsible and wrong. Now, Joe Biden has a lot of accountability here, too. But one of the problems is that when you set a date like that, Donald Trump said during the campaign, you can't set dates because then the enemy knows when you're leaving. Well, Donald Trump not only set a date, but he told the Taliban what it was and then let fifteen hundred Taliban fighters out. And those fifteen hundred Taliban fighters came back to shoot at our troops. And you want to blame Joe Biden? I mean, I am fine, Paul. You want to come on here and blame Joe Biden for everything but the rain outside? You can do it. But let's get the whole story here. And the whole story is Donald Trump had us fleeing out of there on a timeline that no military person thought we should leave on. And Joe Biden, if you want to accuse him of anything, is not saying that Donald Trump could not make a good decision if one fell on his head. And he should have said, we're not going to do it. Now, the Taliban said they had a deal with the United States government. And that if, it, that if we backed out of the deal, it was going to be a spike of violence again, and we would have to bring more troops to put it down because Donald Trump had pulled out two-thirds of our troops already. Joe Biden was caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. If you want nuance, if you want facts, if you want context, come to the middle. That's what I got for you, and we'll have more when we get back.
9: I in the car and I just sit there.
1: To make change, reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. Before all this happened, Anthony Weiner he was fantastic. That guy could have been the president. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. But Weiner may be my greatest challenge yet. He has gone toe-to-toe with many pundits before me. On WABC.
2: Anthony Weiner, eight hundred eight four eight WABC, 800-848-9222, Taking you to the top of the hour. It's been a great show today. The callers have been great, and Ava and Christian and Matt have done a great job keeping the show moving along. And at the top of the hour, Curtis and Leo will come in for Left versus Right. I want to thank you for the support of that show as well. Those those you know, Curtis does a lot of time here at ABC and all of his shows. Everything he touches kind of turns to gold. That, our show is doing pretty well as well. And um we're going to be talking about some of the issues affecting New York City. I just want to—I—I—I I, I, I keep making a pledge to kind of try to keep it cool. I—I I get that every day at seventy-seven WABC Radio, that that this amazing network that we've put together here, that John and Margot, Matisse and Chad Lopez and, and Matt and the other guys—that we're a right-leaning place. I get it. But I'm on here, too, and we get a lot of listeners here, too, and we've done very well. And there really is this notion that you don't have to check your politics at the door. But if it's all one thing, if it's all one message, it's all one idea, that it gets a little boring after a while. And I think that that's why I really feel it's a privilege to be. I'd much rather be on here than on MSNBC or something like that because it becomes a real good conversation. It goes back and forth. And I just got a text during the break from a friend of mine who's a big Trump supporter, saying that he didn't know that it was Donald Trump that had negotiated the the exit from Afghanistan. Of course it was. He wanted he had this idea of getting out by January twentieth. He wanted to be out before he was out. And so they accelerated the drawdown and and authorized the negotiation, direct negotiations with the Taliban. And from the accelerated race to get out of there. Was a lot of bad decisions that that Joe Biden had to make when he got in. Now he could have torn up the deal that was made to exit from Afghanistan, but he wanted to get out of Afghanistan too. I mean, a lot of people did. The country was very unpopular at that point. <coughs> but the problem was always how do you get out of there in a, in a way that doesn't have all everything get reversed? And one of the reasons that we got had to get out of there was that the government of Afghanistan was so weak, but no one no one thought it was that weak. But as part of the deal, Donald Trump released 1,500 Taliban fighters in exchange for, wait for it, nothing, nothing, basically nothing. And the Taliban had made it very clear, look, you can back out of this deal that included a big drawdown of U.S. forces even before Joe Biden got in the door. But then we were basically going to, we being the Taliban, we, we want you out, we'll let you get out. But they made it very clear that, all right, that means that the war starts, that the, the war starts in earnest again. <clears throat> With 1,500 additional fighters, their worst fighters that had been let out. And that was the hand that Joe Biden was dealt. Now you can argue that they didn't play it well or as far as the, the, the billions of dollars of stuff, was left, stuff was left behind. According to the Defense Department, a lot of it was degraded. A lot of the stuff they probably would have left under any circumstances. It was a mess. It wasn't a good moment. But for Donald Trump supporters to call in and forget his role in it is a little bit what the problem is with one hand clapping. If you only listen to your own side, you never find out the other stuff. But I really do appreciate the, the calls this week were just were excellent, excellent because people brought stuff to the table that represented a true perspective that a lot of people have. And next week we're we'll back to it again. Also, check out the my podcast uh, drops every Wednesday, the Middle Unplugged. The one that came out this week was about how we talk to young people on the left about Israel to try to talk them straight. Coming up at 4 o'clock, it's me and Curtis Lewa for Left versus Right, so stick around for that. It's really great to have you. I'm so appreciative for all your support, and we'll see you next week on The Middle. See you on the other side with Left versus Right.